0: 18
1: plus. Hi and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. Today I'm talking with Kim Miller. Kim is a stage manager, a director, and a visual artist and has worked in theater in many different capacities. She's one of my closest friends from the University of Evansville and was in town last weekend for a very quick visit, so this is just a short conversation we were able to squeeze in. Kim designed the cover art for The Compass, and having conversations with her all summer about what the podcast might be really helped me start this project. I respect her so much, and am thrilled to talk with her about where she's at, and it's been great that she's been involved in this process. We moved to New York the same week together 10 years ago after college, and I really miss having her here, so it was a wonderful, wonderful weekend catching up, and I'm glad we could squeeze in a little bit for the podcast as well. I hope you enjoy the 13th episode of The Compass. Kim, thank you for chatting with me on your super short trip to New York. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So Kim, as you all know, did the cover art for The Compass podcast. So thank you so much for doing that, Kim.
2: It was my pleasure.
1: (laughs) It really helped me get this thing started to have someone to email back and forth with and brainstorm and have someone else think that the idea was worth pursuing. So you really helped me.
2: I'm very glad to have worked with you. (laughs) Um,
1: So what is the dark side for you as an artist and what's your current way of trying to stay out of it? That's Um, a huge question. (laughs)
2: I think for me, it is self pity and self martyrdom. And so a big um, kind of thinking shift that I've been working on is uh, choosing to do things versus letting things happen to me. And that has been very helpful. And I think that for me, when i am in a dark place it's because i'm like oh, the world has done this to me and right and all these things have conspired against me and like that's why i can't ha- like do anything and it's <laughs> just like such a stupid unhelpful unhealthy way to think so deciding to say like we were talking um this weekend about my job was eliminated at like my dream work and it was mm-hmm. earlier this year and rather than saying like well you know I'm really fucked now mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry for the language okay. <laughs> but it was like oh well this is actually an opportunity for my husband and I we've talked a little bit about maybe moving back west and in a way like this is wonder like this is a way that we can choose to do this and not feel any guilt and not feel any like I don't have to feel any what ifs about oh well wow I quit this job that I loved so much
1: what it would have turned out into yeah years
2: so it was a really great way to say like well we're gonna decide then to use this as an opportunity to move and this is a really good thing versus like (laughs) self-pity and self-martyrdom and um yeah it was so I've been trying to kind of apply that to to everything and
1: um no that's a really like large shift to make but I'm sure it affects everything
2: yeah and it's (laughs) like I'm a person that uh unfortunately my mind is very like Programmed that way. Like, if there's like a red light, I'm like, ugh, <laughs> this is on purpose. Like, right, of course it happened to me. Who, like, who is making it yeah. on purpose? Like, <laughs> I can go
1: there
2: <laughs> So, kind of shifting all of that to just be like, almost nothing in this world is personal. Like, it's right. something that I'm learning. And as right. an artist and as um just a, a professional adult, like, pretty much nothing is personal. (laughs) And um, when you sort of let that go, there's so much anxiety and so much anger that goes with it. And so much energy that I was wasting feeling like so many things are personal. And it's just like, none of this is personal. Like none of this has anything to do with me. And that's great. That's actually very freeing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I've talked to a lot of performers so far on the podcast and you have done so many different things, but you're also into visual art. You've been a stage manager. You've worked on the administrative side of theaters in a lot of different capacities. What are some of the the challenges that you've worked against pursuing like that side of the theater? What are the things that you come up against? And you're like, oh, this is like for actors. It's, oh, auditioning, blah, 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 blah. What are some of the things that you've have been frustrating that you've had to deal with over the years on that side of it?
2: I think something that is hard is that sometimes people don't understand the value that having administrative organization can add to, like, all the different levels that happen to producing theater. Mm -hmm. That if you don't have somebody booking your travel that understands the rules of equity, like... But people don't want to pay for that, and so that's very, (laughs) you know, or people think, you know, sometimes what happens with stage managers, which I think is sort of a strange thing, because I think there are some people that go into stage management and admin because they've always wanted to do those things, and that's kind of the camp that I fall into, and then sometimes there's people that are in that camp, that it's someone has told them, you're not good enough to do this other thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should be a stage manager, which I think is a very... Comes with a lot of baggage. strange, like, and I I feel like that's such a weird thing because it's also a job that's, like, so thankless and a lot of hard work and Mm -hmm. to say to somebody who's already feeling vulnerable, like, you're not very good at this, like, go do this other job where, like, that maybe you don't want to do... That's really yeah.
1: thankless. <laughs> and a lot of hard work. <laughs> and
2: a lot of hard work. And so I think that sometimes I, when I meet people who kind of initially got into stage management that way, some of them have really been like, wow, this is fantastic. Like, I love this. And some of them are like, well, I really hate doing this job. And the only reason I got into it is like, it breaks my heart. Like, mm-hmm. no one should have to do something. Like,
1: I don't know. And it affects everybody, I think. Because I know when I have a g- – I love – great stage managers and whenever I have a great stage manager I'm so thankful and I'm like oh my god it makes the entire process it's like that saying of like (laughs) oh if mama's happy then the whole family's happy it's like if there's a really great stage manager you just the whole cast feels it (laughs) and then the opposite if it's someone who doesn't want to be there it makes everything harder
2: well and I think that's for any role in a show like if there's somebody that doesn't really doesn't want to be Mm -hmm. there like everyone sort of feels that and that's not very fun
1: (laughs) so um how how does your like family understand you as an artist like when you decided to I know you even went to performing arts high school but have they always been like oh yeah of course Kim's in the theater (laughs) (laughs) I mean
2: kind of like I I got into theater really young like I and not even necessarily like the acting side of it like um I remember telling my mom when I was in, like, ninth or tenth grade that I wanted to produce Godspell. Oh, my God. <laughs> And she was like, like, is all that, right. like, that, like, what is that? And it's like, <laughs> oh, I want to, like, put it all together and, like, get oh the space. Gosh. And, like, I did never do it. Like, it was like this, like, junior high, high school summer means. dream, like... <laughs> Well, I guess I don't know if I maybe said the word produce, but I think I remember explaining (laughs) to her, like, I want to choose where the actors stay, like, and not even necessarily like the directing part of it, like choosing a venue and like, I want to arrange all of the rehearsal schedules. (laughs) I don't know. It was, and like, we had gone and seen a lot of theater when I was growing up, like my parents were really great about like taking us to things growing up in Las Vegas, like we Mm -hmm. saw a lot of shows and. We would travel, like my parents would take us to Utah to go to a Shakespeare festival there, and like so it was something that I just always really loved, so they were actually very supportive, and something I really think was great that my dad did was like when I was graduating, or I guess it must have been eleventh grade, he took me out for a day, he said you know i want to talk to you about deciding to go to college and deciding to go to a private school and like what that means because our family d- is not is very budget conscious like yes. <laughs> because we've had to be our family is i my parents are divorced and um, have always worked very hard for what we did have and so my dad took me to in and out burger and pulled out a notepad and was like I need you to write down what you think the expenses are as an adult who has college loans. Like write out the do- like exact dollar amounts, what you think they are. And I was like, oh. like for after you graduate, yes. when you need to be paying the monthly payment. Yes. And like write down what you think it costs to pay your student loans, what you think it costs to live in New York City and pay rent. Mm-hmm. Like what are these costs? And I wrote them down, and he's like, "Okay, here are the real costs." Like he's like, "I'm researching this. Like you need to think about these line like." And that was like such a gift. Like, like I know ne- how would I have ever? Yeah.
1: How can you even imagine that?
2: Yeah, and so like when I graduated, like I was able, like I had already sort of gone through these exercises, it had d- crunched the numbers of like this is the amount of money I need to move to New York City without a job,
1: right? <laughs> um, <laughs> We and so go.
2: like my parents, rather than saying like, this is crazy, we're like, if you're going to do something crazy, then like, let's at least give you the tools to be self-sufficient in doing this.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of wonderful. Yeah. And are they still like, what about where you are today? Are they still yeah. really supportive?
2: V- very much so. That's wonderful. Yeah, they, I think I've been very lucky to have parents that are as kind as that and even my in-laws like my husband's parents are the same way like I don't know how we both got so lucky (laughs) to have these parents that are um, very loving supportive artistic but also very real and like realistic yeah saying things like do you budget for this have you checked your credit like (laughs) Uh you know not just sort of allowing us to have artistic wants but being part of a a world that's sustainable for us to, you know, not go into financial ruin or yeah, it's been really nice.
1: (laughs) And then I know you're so close with your little brother. Yeah. And he's kind of always just, I'm sure if you went to theater with your parents when you were little too.
2: Oh my God. We have like, we just, (laughs) he's
1: always understood where you've been.
2: Yeah. My brother's fantastic too. And he's very artistic as well. Like he does a lot of visual art as well. Mm -hmm. And, he and I have always, like, done artistic things together. Like, when we were younger, we would drive to California and go to art museums and, you know, just go to concerts. And I I was very lucky. I had friends growing up as well that were really into the arts, and the three of us just would drive places that our parents would, if our parents couldn't take us or right. you know weren't really interested, it was like, yeah, you guys can drive to California by yourself. You're 16, that's fine. <laughs>
1: Yours, like, that's fine. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> You've lived in a lot of different cities. Now. <laughs> yes. What are some of the things that uh, how those different cities contributed positive and negative to you as an artist over the years? Um. That's been a big question for me lately is like location (laughs) and how that feeds you and how you choose to go where, where you can do the things you want to do.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I've gotten very lucky to, in the places that I've been have opportunities because I was just in the right place at the right time. And like being in, having that happen and then getting to be a part of all these different communities. Like when I moved to New York, that was such an incredible experience being so young and naive um, and having so many different jobs. Yeah. Um, but that like I got so like I went to La, like I knew I wanted to work at La Mama and I went there and was like, can I work here? And the girl at the box office was like, no, I mean, not no. I, I had asked her if there were volunteer positions available uh-huh. and she said, you know, no, not really right now. And like, I was like, Like Ellen Stewart was like sitting in the lobby and heard this and was like, "Oh, do you want to work for us?" And I was like, "Yes." And she's like, "Well, what do you do?" And I said, "Well, I'm a stage manager." She goes, "Well, you can stage manage this show," and like points to like a (laughs) posting on the wall for that they needed for a stage manager. Like it was like, (laughs) I mean, that isn't something that I like. I did not. That was very lucky. And then when I got,
1: but you put yourself out there. Yeah, we're like, I want to help in some way.
2: Yeah. And and that introduced me to like the, all these other crazy experiences working with experimental theater here in New York. And then moving to Chicago was another experience like that where I had gone into a temp agency and I was filling out the temp form. And the girl that was at the front desk said, oh, I'm looking at your resume like you do theater. I was like, yeah. She goes, you're a stage manager. I said, yeah. Like as I'm like filling out this temp test, she's like, so I need a stage manager starting like next week. <laughs> and like then they became my close, like my closest friends in Chicago. And I was a part of this company for five years, living there. Like,
1: oh my gosh.
2: But like that's, it, it's still like I feel very lucky that these random experiences then have given me, you know, a path into these really lovely artistic communities and. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And now living in Las Vegas, like I am not working in theater and it's been delightful. Like I, it's been fun. Like I've loved art for so long and, um, I'm working at an art gallery now and that's, it's just, I feel very lucky, you know, to have these random experiences that have really truly been just, you're in the right place at the right time. And you say, like,
1: okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's really amazing. Is there um, something that you've worked on in the past couple years that you're particularly proud of that you want to tell me about?
2: I was so proud to work for the Second City.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I I didn't grow up, like, really ever seeing improv. And I was... I'll be honest. Like I was kind of a snob. Like I was like kind of like a theater snob, and like, right. especially in college. Like oh my god, um, like, and then I got to Chicago, and there was an like a stage management opening with Second City, and it was like you know maybe this could be like I'd had some friends who had worked for them, and they were like this was an incredible experience working for this company, and I was like you know yeah that could be that could be really neat that could be a nice change, and it was. The performers there and the writers there and the producers there are so incredible. Like, uh, the the performers at Second City can work a crowd in a way that, like...
1: It's a whole other skill.
2: It is incredible. (laughs) Like, they own that audience. And they are Mm -hmm. such good writers. And they are so fast in their wit and their thought Mm -hmm. and their... I mean, I just... I, like... I'm still like a little a Twitter. Like I love, <laughs> I just love it. And the writing there was so good. And I thought, again, like having been such a snob, like getting there and being like, holy shit, like these people are like some of the best writers I have ever, ever gotten to witness writing new material. Like they pump out material in a way that is, I'd never seen in traditional theater. And it was so wonderful to basically have the world say like you know you were really snobby about this thing now you get a chance to to see something that you didn't right didn't have a respect for and now I'm like oh my god like I have so <laughs> much so respect
1: how our like tastes and open-mindedness <laughs> change yeah like we were 18 <laughs> yes thank god <laughs> thank god
2: <laughs> yeah it was just so and so freeing like I think I felt like I hadn't laughed for so long. Like Mm. I loved comedy as a growing up, like watching SNL, all my favorite movies were comedy and something switched in me as a teenager where I got really serious. And then coming back to like, like a place where like there can be humor and joy and all in so many terrible things. Like it was like the most incredible, like so freeing that everything didn't have to be so serious and like
1: that's beautiful that it spreads to every not just the writers and the performers but that you're working there in a different capacity and you feel that energy and you feel that freedom yeah that's really beautiful
2: it was working there taught me so much and the producers there were so generous to me and like in, such incredible mentors to me also teaching me about like when I was working for them in an administrative capacity like they, were, they just let me do things that I was like, you're letting me do this? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah, you should budget, you know, for this year, for this division. Like, you should put all, you should put the numbers, help put the numbers together. I was like, why are you letting me do okay, this? Like, <laughs> I'll figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, like, they're also, like, checking, like, it's not like then they were like, and right. it goes to print. But, like, giving me the opportunity to really, like, make mistakes and, like, figure it out and, like, learn and just... Um, But still being there to answer questions and help me a lot, like, it was just the best.
1: (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit about, you've been working in the theater to make money, and that's your main career, but something that I love about you so much is that you have these artistic outlets in your daily life, even if it's not something you're doing for money. You are so into music. I know you've written a couple of blogs about that (laughs) here and there, but you're just like, the one of the only people that I get music recommendations <laughs> from cuz I don't put in the energy you do that and then like I thought of you immediately when I needed an image cuz I just remember vividly from college all the beautiful collages you would make and how have those I don't want to call them hobbies but yeah I mean they are hobbies are these other outlets you found for yourself that you can do alone yeah and that you don't need to be hired to do you don't need to have 10, yeah. a group of 10 people how have those How do those help you in your daily life?
2: I think for me, it's important to have art in my life that isn't monetized, especially because I've worked in commercial theater for so long, and I actually love that side of it. I think artists should be paid, like that there is art, like, right, we paid to go to school to make art. If we paid to go to school to get a degree, you should be anyone else that's paid to get a degree and is working in a certain field is probably getting paid as well. So I feel so strongly about that, but I also at the same time feel like there is art that people create for them. That like and for me that some of that art like writing about music like I ne- I never want to monetize that. Like it's something I do for me and or for my friends. Like I love writing le- emails and letters and mm-hmm. um for me that is a way to I don't know I just like the idea, I guess, of some art not having to be turned into some money machine. (laughs) And it's like I was writing with a friend about it. Like she makes she does sewing and makes these incredible um, like dolls, like out of all these crazy fabrics and things. And we were writing about like, like it's so weird to monetize things because she initially started doing it because she was making it for her friends and this and that. And someone's like, oh, you like, you should have some you should that should be your business. And, like, how quick we all are to be like, wow, you're good at that thing. That should be your business. Like, sometimes Mm -hmm. people just want to make things. And, like, I don't want to have an Etsy store. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and not that there's anything wrong with that. Like, that's also a fantastic way for people who are craftspeople to be able to sell things and make a living again for... But it
1: does add a certain amount of stress and pressure.
2: yeah, Yeah. And sometimes... And... I I just wanted, I want to have things in my life where I don't feel that pressure, especially because I have worked for so long for commercial theaters and Mm -hmm. in commercial ways in arts. And, um, I just like to have things that aren't kind of touched by all of that.
1: (laughs) Well, to continue the financial side of it, how has that balance been for you? And I mean, I know you've worked for some companies that are so commercial that they're able to pay you a living (laughs) wage or better. Mm -hmm. But then when you're in the situation where it's not your entire income, how have you dealt with that?
2: Um, Well, when I've worked for places that were sort of like a day job that weren't necessarily artistic, I was still doing stage managing at night and being given a stipend for that. Mm -hmm.
1: So I I mean. It's just that well, I'm going to work all day today from the moment I get up until <laughs> yes. the moment I go to bed. Yeah. And even <laughs> I just have to be willing to put that energy in.
2: Yeah. And part of it was when I was working a day job that wasn't necessarily like theater based or art based. I was very choosy about the night projects that I would work on. And they needed to be something where either like I was directing or I was it was a passion project that I loved the show that I was working on. So I was helping produce it or helping stage manage it. Like with a company I worked with in Chicago, the plagiarists, I, there came a point where I was like, I can't work on this project, like be very involved in this particular project, but I can be really involved in this other project. Right. Um, <clears throat> so just like choosing how I spent my time.
1: If you're going to stretch yourself. <clears throat> that,
2: that was going to be free or not free. Cause they're actually really great. They stipend their artists.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know you're just visiting New York for like a day and a <laughs> half. Hours. Um, and you didn't see any shows while you were here. Have you been seeing any shows in Vegas that you want to recommend if anyone is around that area?
2: I think if you go to Las Vegas, you should see the big Las Vegas shows. I think that Las Vegas does spectacle so well. Mm. And it is an art all of its own. And it is incredible. It is just... Like,
1: like seeing, go see the circ shows. Go and, see
2: yeah. a circ show. Like, you're never going to see spectacle like that. Like, <laughs> the budgets for those shows are unreal. And it's such a celebration of vis- visual art and performance. And so many of those performers have been training since they were, like, four to do, like, wow. acrobatics in those shows. And I mean... I just, I think those are incredible. I think that if you're in Vegas, go see a magic show. (laughs) You know, like, what an incredible art. (laughs) Like, the art of magic is, is amazing. Like, how fun. Well, it
1: makes me think about what you were saying about improv, like... If you're going to go somewhere like that, you just need to be open and embrace these other art forms and be like, okay, this isn't going to be Romeo and Juliet, (laughs) but it's going to be something else really amazing that I don't know how to do. Yes, really
2: incredible (laughs) that someone has worked their whole life to perfect. And like, I feel like when I've opened myself up to all those other things, it's like, I enjoy watching almost anything. (laughs)
1: Las Vegas is such a particular place. And I think it's so interesting (laughs) that that's your hometown and you moved back there for many reasons and your parents are there, your husband's parents are there. But it's interesting that it's somewhere where one there are all these big shows going on that maybe you might be involved with somewhere down the line, but also, it is so presentational. Yes, in a way. Do you think that that how has that influenced you when you were a kid or? Oh
2: God! Or like now, I love
1: being around it now. Do you see it differently or?
2: Yeah, I love all. I love spectacle. Mm-hmm. I think it's incre- I think that f- for me, I actually feel more watching something big and visual than I do when it's something small like a black box style show Mm -hmm. not there's I don't think anything is better than the other it's just kind of what moves you um and I had when I first got home actually I had the opportunity to work part-time for Cirque and that was I mean they are artists the stage management team is like wow (laughs) the wardrobe team the like every single person on that show is just on on all of their shows Mm -hmm. is like top of their game and it's it's really amazing (laughs) and I think it's influenced me I I think I enjoy um a little bit of everything in a different way than if maybe I'd grown up in somewhere that didn't kind of embrace (laughs) craziness and gaudiness and um all all that spectacle
1: (laughs) I've asked a few people on the podcast who are married to other artists what that's like and what is it like for you to be married to someone who's whose profession isn't in the arts
2: it's interesting because Bentley actually has a lot of artistic projects like him and his brother are working on a cartoon right now um about their experience when they were working in a home where they took care of adults that needed care and they're kind of working on a um a cartoon about that experience because their whole family has worked in these oh, wow. um, group homes over the years so he's still he has so many artistic projects and he also is um, so smart like he's always tinkering in the garage like I come out there and he's like look at this alarm I made and there's like this <laughs> alarm going off or like hey look at this like solar bug I made watch when you put it, it in things. the sun it like shakes around like <laughs> He is always making all of these incredible things.
1: But he has he ever tried to monetize it? Well,
0: or-
2: <clears throat> yes and no. Like he and his mom actually worked on a book together, um, oh, okay. a children's illustrated book. He did all the illustrations, and his mom um, wrote the story. And they worked to monetize that. They put together a marketing plan. They the book is sold; like you can buy it on Amazon. Thankful. Okay, cool. um, and I think, you know, he also enjoys problem-solving and I think a lot of the IT things that he works on are very much problem-solving based and there's a lot of satisfaction for him that comes from that and um and then in addition to that, like I said, he's always making something crazy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then going to work and working with computers. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he is very much a comedy nerd. Mm-hmm. Like when I got the job at Second City, he was like, oh God, <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. And he's turned me on to a lot of artistic things that I never thought I would enjoy. Like, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of art, a lot of things that we enjoy together artistically, like the there's a radio show that, <laughs> that I
1: don't know to start listening to. <laughs>
2: anyone on this listens to it. It's called The Best Show and it's a comedy um music call-in show and it has become a really big part of my artistic enjoyment and that was something he introduced me yeah. to. And you know, it's a very symbiotic
1: <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, and I haven't gotten to spend as much time with Bentley because you guys have been moving around from All out of the New time. York so much. Um <laughs> But yeah, it seems like it's much more similar, even if he's working a money job that isn't necessarily in the arts. He's using all of those skills and all of those tools.
2: Yeah. And he was teaching for a while too, which I think he got a lot of, um, I mean, I guess maybe artistic isn't the right word, but he got certainly a lot of sort of life satisfaction out of teaching young people how to use computers and teaching them how to use it in artistic ways, um doing videos Mm -hmm. and
1: that's such a huge part of the arts now every kind of art yeah projections and oh my technology as a tool is there anything specific that you turn to you find yourself turning to over and over again like a certain album or a certain book when you're like just feeling down and you need some inspiration that you like reread or anything like that I think going outside for
2: me actually Mm -hmm. is one thing that I really I if I'm feeling down I go outside a lot and then in terms of like music or I mean
1: like Beck maybe. everyone knows Beck <laughs> <laughs>
2: my lifelong music uh obsession <sighs> um <laughs> but there are a couple albums like um there's a badly drawn boy album our the bewilder that I think now for probably 10 years I go to when I feel anxiety like I listen to that album a lot when I'm feeling really anxious there's a lot of TV shows actually I think TV actually brings me so much joy there's a lot of very funny TV shows that help me to not take myself so seriously or to take things so seriously when I'm feeling down um one of those shows is called Nathan for You
1: I have not seen it
2: <laughs> it's a guy who he basically poses himself as a business consultant to small businesses and gives them outrageous marketing techniques and they film it. It,
1: Like he, the businesses don't know, or this is like scripted.
2: It's not scripted. And um, he basically kind of convinces them to do these outrageous marketing ploys. And it's, it, it again is just a kind of reminder to me about like, it's, there's so many things, and like things I don't need to seriously. take things too seriously. This guy just made, like, put a s- tiny scarecrow on a drone to like fly it <laughs> around to a guy who has balloons strapped to his back so he can ride a horse. Like it's <laughs> like just yeah, silly fun. Like, and it brings me that is a very uh, amazing show. I watch a lot of. I've rewatched the series Freaks and Geeks a mm-hmm. bunch of times. Um, I think that show does such a good job capturing adolescence. Um, Yeah, I I actually gravitate towards a lot of comedy and a lot of, like, uncomfortable comedy or, like, comedy about feeling (laughs) uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) It's therapeutic. It's very therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, Kim, it's so good to see you in person. <laughs> and thank you for chatting with me, even though you're here just for a minute. I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to The Compass Podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller, music by Brendan Spieth, audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.